0: What you just saw there were clips from our first ever, this is the first time we've ever done this, uh, Collide Wars. So all day yesterday we split up uh, all 1,500 students and split them up into eight teams and uh, just had some epic battles. There was King of the Hill, Dodgeball. I got smacked right in the face with a Dodgeball. It was amazing. Uh, But it was an amazing weekend. Uh, The whole goal behind doing Tribe Wars and things like that was to build up community. We are one big happy family as a church. And it's just amazing to see students come together, working together, hanging out together, spending time together. And so uh, it was just a really a fun weekend. Uh, I'm super honored to be able to speak with you guys today, talk about uh, Collide Takeover. Collide is the conference for our, our student ministry, and it's, it's just an incredible weekend. We wanted to carry it over into our Sunday services because for, for two different reasons. Number one, we want our students to get plugged into the weekend services. So often... Uh, Students will come to a conference or something like Collide, and then they'll miss out on a weekend service because, number one, they're tired, okay, which I I, I feel you. Okay, same, retweet. But another reason why is because they don't think the Sunday service is for them. Well, I'm here to tell you it is absolutely for them. We are one family, and so everything is for everybody, okay? Um, Usually when I get to speak on the weekends, Kevin will gently remind me or Pastor Harry will send me a, a quick text or Sometimes I just have to remind myself, hey, Craig, you're not speaking just to students today. There are those adults in the room, too, and they're not going to get all your jokes about student ministry and and things like that. So you got to adult it up a little bit. Well, you know what? Today's Collide Takeover, so all that's going out the window. (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to teenage. I'm just kidding, okay? I know there's adults in here, but I do want to help bridge the gap a little bit. I want to help uh, all the adults in the room understand what the teenagers are saying. Some of you in here are parents, and you have teenagers, or you're about to have teenagers, or, or you just came out of having teenagers. Maybe they already graduated and moved on, and you're like, I have no idea what they're, they're what, are they speaking a different language? The answer is yes, they are, but I'm here to help you, okay? So consider the next couple of minutes um, uh, an intro, okay? Teenage Language 101. All right? So I'm gonna teach you guys. I wanna help you out. I wanna be- help you better understand. So I'm gonna say a word. I want you to repeat it, okay? We're gonna start off really easy. This is one most of you probably already know on some way or another. The First word is emoji, okay? Everybody say emoji. Okay, now some of you are kind of halfway into this. Yeah, I wanna get you there, I promise you, okay? Now, emoji, if you don't know what that is, again, most of you probably know this, but emoji is basically a modern day hieroglyphic, okay? This is hieroglyphics, or what the ancient Egyptians used. They used pictures to communicate to each other. We do this today, except they're yellow faces or a poop emoji. That's just what you do. That's what teenagers do. I, I've, sometimes I'll text some of our teenagers, our students, and and we will have a, a five minute conversation, and we will never say an actual word. It's just text or, uh, emojis back and forth. Okay, the next word is lit. Yeah. Lit, I'm going to educate you today, okay? So the word is lit, which basically means, okay, so if you're an 80s person, if you grew up in the 80s, I'm going to help you out, all right? So lit is equal to righteous, okay? That's radical, dude, okay? That's what that equals. Or if if you're from a different generation, lit equals groovy, okay? That's, That's what that means. So you're putting the two together. You're starting to understand a little bit now, okay? The next word is bay, all right? Some of you have heard this. Bay, what is bay? I don't know what bay is. Is it a bay door? No, it's not, okay? Bay means a boyfriend, a girlfriend, some, a significant other, a teenager's significant other. Um, if you're in the, in the older crowd, okay, bay equals sugar, pie, honey, bunch. Okay, that's what that means. That's what bay stands for, all right? Uh, the next one is salty, Okay. This is not what you send back at a restaurant if your steak is too salty. This is not what this means. Salty means angry, upset. You're upset with somebody. You're frustrated with someone. Hashtag, you're an angry elf. Okay? Anybody elf fans in here in this place? Okay? So salty. Sorry. By the way, hashtag is a pound sign for some of you guys. Y'all didn't know that? I'm trying to educate you. That's my job today is to educate you, all right? Uh, The next one is you mad, bro. That's a question, yes, okay, but here's the deal, the word you in there is not a word at all, it's just the letter you, okay, teenagers today, they do not use actual full words, none of them, okay, it's whatevs, they do not use full words, they just use letters, so you mad bro, roughly translated means, are you upset, my friend, okay, that's what that means. (laughs) Then the last one is low key, all right. This is not the key that's hanging down here. This is low-key means to keep something hush-hush, okay? Or, or for some of you, uh, that means to keep it on the down low, okay? That's what low-key means if you want to try to, to keep something, you know, kind of hush. Although most teenagers don't even know the meaning. They just say low-key before every sentence they say, Okay. Okay, it's low-key weird. Um, so if you want to understand, so next time your teenager comes up to you and says, low-key, bae was salty today, you know exactly what they mean, all right? So give it up for yourselves. You learned something new today. Congratulations. You did it. You did it. All weekend long, we have been talking to our students about the edge at Collide. The whole Collide sessions, all everything was pointed toward telling our students about the edge. The edge represents the life that God has designed for us. Life on the edge is dangerous, it's risky, it's not what everybody else does. It means we have to stay sharp. If you're standing on the edge, that means there's no turning back. If you're standing on the edge, that means you have to be ready to go. A razor's edge has to be sharp. And we want our students to have that kind of an edge, where they can be sharp, where they go into any circumstance they go through, they're able to slice through. That when they come against something, when they get to a a brick wall and everything's hard, that they can just slice right through it through the word of God. When they want to reach their friends, they can do what needs to be done. They can be sharp. They can cut through the junk that's around them to tell people about who God is. So this morning I want to talk to students and adults doesn't matter what age you are. Doesn't maybe you're a kid lifer in here and you're hanging out with mom and dad today. It doesn't matter if you're a teenager, a junior high student. It doesn't matter if you're a college student. You're here early before class starts in a couple of weeks. Doesn't matter if you're a twenty-something, a sixty-something, empty nester, full nester. It doesn't matter. I want to talk to everybody today, because we all can use a little work about living on the edge. So this morning, if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, this morning I want you to go to Philippians chapter three, verse thirteen. This is kind of our, our theme verse for today. It's the one I really want to focus on I kind of circle the entire message around. It says this. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. Heavenward to Christ Jesus. That's the prize. Forgetting what is behind. Forgetting everything that is behind. That's what the, really the, the three words I want to focus on. Forgetting what is behind? Can we pray together? Is that cool? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for what you're doing in this place. God, bless this moment that we have together. God, I pray, God, with everything that's in me, that these words not be mine, God, but it be you. God, that I am just up here to be a body up here. But, God, that you speak out into every person that's in this room. You speak to their lives, God. Let your will be done in this place, God. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Is anybody else here a history buff? Do I have any history people? You like documentaries. You get sucked in. Okay, I'm that guy. Okay, Lauren hates, uh, hates it when I do this, but she'll get home from work or something. And I'll be sucked into a history channel or discovery channel documentary. And, and there was one a couple of years ago that was really good about some of the founding fathers. And I just get sucked in. I just love that kind of stuff. And, and so when I came across this story a few years ago, it was really interesting to me. Uh, some of you guys may have heard this. Some of you may have even heard this preached before. But there's a story in 1519, Hernan Cortez and 500 Spaniards and 11 boats arrived in what we now know as modern-day Mexico. They arrived on the shores of Mexico. The goal was to conquer the land from the Aztecs and take some gold. They knew there was gold there. They knew, they knew all the, of these things. They wanted to take the land from the Aztecs and conquer it in the name of Spain the 500 men that cortez had with him not a lot of them were experienced in, in war from what i understand they they were not military people this was exploration this was to find new lands and so some of them were may have been uh, may have just been fishermen or may have just been sailors or maybe they were miners since they were going to work for coal and and all of this stuff but i don't think a lot of them were very military minded and so when they found out that Cortez is wanting to take over this land and there would be some scuttle involved and, and they would have to fight and they were going to be conquering and some of them started to get a little bit antsy. They, they didn't quite like what they were getting into. They were leaving their family for this voyage to, to get gold and he's got this, this grand idea of conquering lands and moving forward. And so they began to talk to each other and rumble around and they were even talking about mutiny at this point. And Cortez, knowing all this, once they came on on land, usually they would just rush the land and just move forward right away. Well, Cortez decided, hey, let's stop for a minute. I want to talk to everybody, like a pep talk, like a coach at halftime. He wanted to rally his troops together. He wanted to talk to them for just a minute. And he gave this long speech about why they're here and things like that. And the last three words of his speech, the most important words, they're the ones that changed everything. It changed history. He looked at his men, and he gave the order, burn the ships. Burn the ships. Now, some historians say they, weren't, they didn't actually burn them, that they scuttled them up on the shore. They disassembled them. Either way, they destroyed these ships. And I'm not talking about the Aztec ships. I'm not talking about their enemy. I'm talking about their own ships, the 11 boats that they used to come to this world to come to Mexico to conquer those ships he had destroyed. Why? Sounds crazy, right? In reality, this was genius. Because what Cortez was doing is, you have no way to leave now. You have to move forward. You have no option now but to move forward. And this morning, I want to put this into our lives today. How can we move forward? We have to get rid of the things that are behind us. By destroying our only means of retreat, it forces our hand to move forward. And so even though this may be a collide takeover, and we've, we've emphasized and leaned heavily into student ministry today, this is something that can apply to every single person in this room. No matter your demographic, no matter where you're from, no matter your background, this can apply to us all today. And I want to ask two questions. And if you're taking notes, feel free to write these questions down because uh, I think they're super important, okay? Two questions that we can look at in our lives to figure out if we're living life on the edge. Number one, what do you want to conquer in your life? What is it that you want to conquer? What are the things that maybe God has put in your life? What are the dreams that God has put in front of you? What's the calling God has put on your life? What are the things that you want to conquer conquer in your life? Number two, what do you keep running back to that you need to burn? Cortez and his men, if, if the going had gotten tough, they would have run back to the ships and hightailed at home. But without that option, with those things being burned, they had no choice. What is it in our lives that we need to burn, we need to destroy, we need to cut ties with, we need to let go in order for us to move forward? Craig, I want to I see my family made whole again. Well, burn the ships behind you that are holding you back, that you keep running to every time it gets hard. Craig, I, I can't. I can't keep a relationship. I just want to be happy. Okay, burn the boats behind you. Craig, I want want to see the culture of my school change. I want to go into this fall and be a world. I want to see people come to know God. Burn the boats. Craig, I want to pursue the call of God on my life. I've been running for 20 years from the call of God that he's put on my life. Burn the boats. There's no doubt in my mind that God wants those things for your life. The only thing holding us back is us. We are the only thing in our own way. There's another story you can find in scripture that's similar to Cortez's experience. It's this guy. He's kind of unknown. You may not know him. He's, he's, uh, he's in one of he's, I think he may be in a couple of books. But this dude named Moses, okay. And so Moses got this call from God. Hey, let my people go. Go free them. Go do something. Go do some work. And so Moses goes in. He, he rallies. You guys probably know the story. He gets Pharaoh to let the people go. And so they make this grand march. They're heading out. He, Moses gets to the edge, he holds a staff up, water splits. Awesome, okay. And all one, two million, however many there were, walked across the Red Sea on dry land. Amazing. It's an amazing miracle. They walk across on dry land. And they get, all get to the other side. Everybody's safe over here. And what does Moses do? He stands it, like, and then what happens? The water comes back together. Now, when I picture this story, you, if you if you've heard me speak before, you know I'm a very visual person. So when I when I when I picture this story, I don't picture this like you know a sunny Thursday afternoon in, in Destin, Florida, with the waves crashing. That's not how this moment looks like to me. Okay, this is not just a. Whoosh, eh. Okay, that's a seagull, not a seal. Okay, that's that's. <laughs> I don't picture them just gently coming back together. I picture crashing wave, violent waves just. Smashing together, it slammed that door shut just like that. And in that moment, in my mind, this is is just how I picture it going. Israel, Moses, they had a, a choice. There was only two choices, though. There wasn't three. They could either move forward or they could stay still. There was no going back. The water had closed. The door had shut. They had cut off ties to go back. There was no retreat in this moment. So they started moving forward. You guys probably know the story. They wandered around for a while. They did a lot of things before they ever got to the promised land. But a couple, a little while goes by. They're wandering through the desert. They're walking through. Life gets hard. And there starts to get some rumbling. And so they start to get hungry. They start to get tired of walking. In Numbers, I want to read you guys this, in Numbers chapter 11, 11, verse 5 and 6, this is what it said. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Those delicious McFish sandwiches from McDonald's, it was good. We remember those fish sandwiches, also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions and garlic. Boy, I hope they had mouthwash. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. See, they had been hungry before, and God came through. They were hungry for something, and God said, here's some chicken nuggets. There you go, just all day, every day, chicken nuggets. Here we go. And he provided food for them. But they got tired of McDonald's nuggets, and they said, I want Chick-fil-A. It's better. They were never satisfied. They said, God, would you provide something more? They were tired of the manna they were receiving. And they were so desperate, they were so tired of that, that they were willing to go back into slavery because it was familiar. Tired, They hit a wall. They came into contact with things they didn't know. Things got hard. Things got rough. And they were so upset and so distraught they were willing to go back into slavery. The thing they hated the most, just to get something familiar. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down. So important. Stop looking for an excuse to go backward and start finding the reason to move forward. Stop looking for excuses to go back to what's familiar. Yeah, what what you've done in the past, yeah, okay, that's cool, yeah. I'm comfortable back here. I know what, you know, it may not be great, it may not be what God wants for me, but I know what I'm doing back here. I, I know where everything is. I know what doors to go into. I know what doors not to go. I know who to talk to, who not to talk to. I know what to say and when to say it. This is comfortable for me. And we look for excuses whenever anything gets hard. We may start pursuing the call that God has for us. And we're like, you know what, man? I feel called to go into the mission field. I feel like God is saying, "Go, go, send me." I'm going to quote scripture. Go, God, send me. I'll go. I'll go where you want me to go. Go to China. No, I don't. It's hot there. I don't want to go. I don't know. It rains a lot. Okay, it's muggy, but the food's really good. Just saying. Okay, I don't want to. I don't want to go to China. So you know what? I'm going to do instead. I'm going to come back here. I'm going to I don't want to do I'm going to come back here where it's comfortable. And I'm going to spend some time here because I, I know what I'm doing here. And we look for excuses to come back instead of finding the reason to move forward. And I want to tell you something this morning church, the reason to move forward his name is Jesus. Jesus has put something in our lives. He's given you a calling, he's given you a gift. He wants you to move forward. I really believe this that if the Israelites could have literally seen with their eyes, the promised land in that moment. If they knew what was waiting for them, if they knew the possibilities of what was ahead, they would have not complained about manna. Instead, they would have pulled themselves up and said, we are going to work night and day to get to that place. We're going to do everything we can. We're not going to complain about the little things. We're not going to waste our time making excuses. We're going to push forward and find what this amazing thing is that God has for us. They would have put every ounce of their energy into pursuing that goal. This morning, I want to give us two quick thoughts that will help us burn the ships that we keep running to and help us continue to live our lives on the edge. So number one this morning, if you're taking notes, which, by the way, studies have shown if you take notes, you go to heaven. I'm just saying, okay? Number one, your history is not your destiny. Your history is not your destiny. Just because of... Mistakes you may have made in your past just because of the things that have led you up to this point right now does not mean it's your destiny. You guys have probably heard this said before. I've said it from stage before. I've, tell, I've told our students this before. You, everything that you've done in your life has made you who you are. Everything. Every decision you've ever made, you don't know how the ripple effect can, can, can occur. I look back at my life now, and I can reflect back, and I can say, well, that one decision I made, although insignificant at that time, somehow it led me to meeting my wife. Every decision you make, every relationship you have, every, every, every action that happens to you that you have no control over, all of those things affect you and create the person that you are right now. But the point in that, it makes you who you are right now. It does not have to determine who you are tomorrow. God's saying, I have so much more for you. Gregory Maguire, he's the man who created the musical Wicked, okay? He said this, I love this. Where I'm from, we believe in all sorts of things that aren't true. We call it history. And it's so true. You know, scientists have said, studies have shown that a lot of times the memories that we have, we can, we can say something, they talk about this all the time when it comes to eyewitness testimonies and crimes and things like that, that people will begin to fabricate things in their mind that they think are true, though even though they didn't happen. It's kind of like a movie based on a true story, that we have told our minds, we have some of the hard, you know, hard details, but we've left out some things, we filled in the blanks of other things. And so this history that we have, it's a lot of things that aren't true. Why? Because it doesn't determine your future. It only takes you up to right now. Right now in the story. This second. This, this second. This second. Th- that second. This one. It only gets you that far. So many people, and Kevin would tell you this too, we, we've talked to so many people who are, who are timid. They're almost afraid about following the, the call that God has on their lives, about pursuing God, because they're afraid that their, their past, their history, who they were, has disqualified them from pursuing God. They think, oh, Craig, dude, I have done, there's no way I can serve in a ministry. I've I've done things, man, in my life that there's no way God would ever call me. I, I'm, I must be thinking different. Dude, I've done stuff, in my, I just can't. And they disqualify themselves from, What God wants for their lives because of their past. But can I give you some good news today? Isaiah 43, 18 and 19 says this. Forget the former things. Come on, I can stop right there and feel free. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God has a new thing planned for your life. He wants to make a way in your wilderness. He wants to drop an Amazon river in the desert that is your history and provide you with a path to get to your future. He wants to do something new in your life. When you choose to hold on to your history, you do so at the expense of your destiny. When you hold on to the things in your life, when you're holding on to the past and you're you're gripping it with a death grip saying, you know what? I don't know what's in front of me, so I'm going to hold on to it. When you do that, you're limiting yourself only to what's behind you instead of what's pushing forward. Uh, when I was 15 years old, I was like a lot of teenagers. I started learning how to drive. My dad started teaching me how to drive. And my dad, he had a really janky, khaki color, long-bodied, 1980-whatever, uh, old Suburban. And that thing was the butt of a lot of jokes, okay? We, we cracked jokes about all that thing. It was impenetrable, okay? We actually came up with a nickname for it, the tank, okay? When somebody said the tank, everybody knew who, who it was talking about. It was talking about that old suburban. And it had so many amazing features, though, inside of it. It had this one thing. You, you, you turned a knob, and air came out. It wasn't cold air or hot air. It was just air, okay? It was just recycling the air. That's all it had in it. Uh, I don't even know if it had a radio in it. I can't remember. But this thing was a beast. It was the epitome of, of the saying, they don't make them like they used to. Nobody made it like, like this anymore. And that thing could take a beating. It didn't matter what happened. You could run that thing into Kanye West's ego, and it still wouldn't crack, okay? This thing was impressive. And so we, we loved this tank. And and, well, we had a love-hate relationship with this thing. But my dad thought it would be a great vehicle to use to teach me how to drive. And so uh, he taught me all the basics and things like that. But my dad was an overachiever. So in, instead of just teaching me how to drive forwards, he taught me in detail how to drive backwards. And so he found this, this uh, big, empty gravel parking lot. He said, get in it. I was like, okay. Do I have to? Yes. Okay, I got in it. And then he said, I want you to go through this little course backwards. The only thing I could see was the 8-inch reflective glass of the rear-view mirror. That's the only thing I had to guide me. He said, get to getting, okay? And so I started driving, and I I drove through it. That's all I had to see was just the 8-inch reflective glass of a rear-view mirror. And I got to thinking about that. How many of us live our lives that way sometimes? But all we have to go by is a rear-view mirror. We are so busy looking in the past, looking about what's behind us, that we're missing this massive windshield that's in front of us that God has put in our lives. He's saying, you are so concerned about what's behind you, you're not looking about what's ahead. And if I was to continue driving like that today, I could tell you my insurance would be very high, okay? Because you cannot get by in modern traffic. You can't get by in any traffic always going in reverse. And God is saying Quit looking behind you, quit thinking that's the way to go. I've got something so much bigger in front of you, ready to go, ready and waiting. Number two: God offers us better. Now I'm not an English major, I'm not great with grammar, and so I don't know if this is correct pronunciation or a correct uh, correct talking. See, I can't even talk right. But some of you English majors or whatever, your English teacher, you may be looking at that, I don't know, and just saying, that's terrible, but it, I have a point. And I was really just happy I didn't say, God offers us butter. I was about to do that this morning. I'm running off four hours of sleep, but God offers us better. Let's look back at our story from Cortez. So they burn their ships. Cortez tells his army, burn the ships, and they march forward. They had no choice but to continue forward. They conquer the land, they conquer the Aztecs, they get the gold. Now, what if they wanted to go back home? What if they said, you know what? We got what we needed. Let's go home, back to our families. They wouldn't have anything to go on. Well, yeah, they would. See, they would have taken the Aztec ships. They would have taken their enemy ship. They would have taken something. And the Aztec ships were so much better than theirs. They would have actually upgraded in the process. Because when they let one thing go, they were able to pick up something that was so much better. See, too many times we, are, we finally get to the point where we're willing to give God what's been holding us back. We're like, God, please take this. Here, this is, this is mine, God. This is my hold up. This is my hang up, God. That's yours. I keep going back to that. But, God, you take it now. And we walk away. But we never pick anything else back up. And I really believe God is saying, if you don't pick something else up along the way, if you don't get anything from me, if you just leave something here, that's great. That's step one. But you got to do step two. Because otherwise, all you're going to be doing is thinking about that one thing all the time. It's going to drive you crazy. And God is saying, if you you lay down fear, pick up peace. If you lay down death, I want you to pick up light. If you lay down addiction, I want you to pick up freedom. If you lay down depression, I want you to pick up joy. God is wanting us to pick something up. There's another story in the Old Testament, Genesis 32. It says this, verse 24, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Then the Lord said to him near morning, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he, Jacob, said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Some of you guys know this story. It's, Jacob was the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham. And he had been hiding for a long time from his brother Esau. Who he, he as, a, as a, young, a young boy, he had stolen the birthright from his brother He had taken something that wasn't his. He had stolen something from his brother. And he was fearing for his life. He was scared to death he was going to die. And so he's running. He's hiding. He's always looking over his shoulder. This caused great anxiety for Jacob. Always in fear. Always nervous about who could be around him. But finally one day he made a decision to burn the ships of his past and pursue what God wanted him. He was ready for better. So the Bible says he wrestled with God. Now, a lot of you guys know this. I have a, a brother. I have a little brother. He's four years younger than me. If you don't know him, he's he's the big guy who plays drums. Okay, that's my little brother, believe it or not. Okay, it's true. He's got a better beard than me. Get over it, okay? But when we were when we were kids, we used to, like like most boys do when you're growing up, when most brothers do, we would we wrestle a lot. We'd rough house. We'd act stupid is basically what that was. And I remember two big instances when we were kids that, that it got violent, <laughs> Um, When I was about eight years old, he was four, we were playing, we were wrestling, playing some kind of tag, or I I don't remember what it was. But at some point, we found ourselves running through the house like crazy people. Now, I was amazing, okay? I'm like a ninja parkour, you know, just running all through the house. And I finally go into my parents' bedroom, and I go into the bathroom, and I slam the door behind me. And all I hear is, yeah, that would be my little brother smashing his head because he was the exact right height for a doorknob smashed head, that's probably what's wrong with him, smashed head, and just, I mean, blood everywhere, I mean, this was, it was terrible, I immediately felt bad after I laughed, I felt bad, but he got me back, a couple years later, we are outside of our house, and I was like 11 or 12 or something like that, and so he's eight or nine, I don't remember, I'm not good at math, but he, we are outside the house, we found two uh, decent sized PVC pipes, And we're playing Star Wars. He's Luke Skywalker. I'm Darth Vader. Okay? And so it's amazing, and we're having a lot of fun. I'm, again, awesome. Okay? I'm like, you know, the Matrix. I'm like Neo, just reaching back and just going all around behind the back, slapping him, just doing amazing things. He, again, is just kind of lame. He's just like, I don't care. Okay? He's he's hanging out. But he gets me good. One moment, I'm not paying attention or something, and he just whacks me right here in the face. And it, this, I know this doesn't make sense, but just bear with me. It hurt so bad I didn't feel it. Yeah, you process it. You'll catch up later. It hurt so bad I didn't feel it. And so we keep going. I'm like, "That oh, was a good shot. My turn. And we're going, And he's like, okay. Hey, what? Oh, God. He, the look on his face was like, are you okay? I'm worried you're going to die. Just, uh, he, he just froze. He's like, Craig, and I, and I just blood stitches. Okay, it just both instances, just stitch. I mean, just terrible injuries. We were just, we're brothers. We like to wrestle, and I don't imagine God and Jacob were wrestling with PVC pipe, acting like Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. But who am I to judge? I don't know it. Maybe it happened that way. God is all time, but something did happen during this wrestling match, because at some point in this wrestling match, God gave something better to Jacob. Jacob is wrestling with God. He's he's God is saying, "Would you let me go? Or get off of me!" Now, listen. You got to you, you guys know God. God could have just gone away. He could have just not been there. But there was something to be learned there. There was something for Jacob to have to do in this moment. It was a lesson to learn. And God is saying, "Would you get off of me?" And it was a test, I believe, for Jacob because Jacob in that moment said, "I'm not letting go until you bless me. I'm not letting go until I get." I'm I'm not letting go until you give me what's mine. And when he surrendered himself, when Jacob gave up his past demons, when he cut ties with what was behind him, he picked up peace in the process. There's something really cool. I want you guys, production, go ahead and uh, throw this up on the screen. It's the word wrestle, okay? It's the word wrestle. Now I want you guys to take a good look at it. Something about this word caught my eye when I was reading this story. There's another word in there somewhere. And it's right smack dab in the middle of it. Because see, when you take away some letters, wrestle becomes rest. In the middle of Jacob's wrestling with God, he found rest. Suddenly everything that had tormented him, everything that was behind him, everything that had been causing him anxiety, when he got down and dirty with God and said, I'm not letting go until you bless me, Jacob found rest in that moment. Sometimes it requires action on our part to conquer the land that God has for us. Last night, Jeremy Foster, he, uh, he was the pastor who closed our last session at Collide. And by the way, I want to be Jeremy Foster when I grow up. I'm just saying, if you don't believe me, go on YouTube, look him up, listen to some of his stuff. You're going to want to be Jeremy Foster when you grow up too. I don't care how old you are. But he closed out the session, and he gave he gave an amazing illustration at the end of that message that, or in the middle of that message, really, that I I I had to use today. It fits so perfectly. You guys weren't to collide, so this applies. Some of our kids know what to expect right now. But he uh, he did this. He put he had twenty dollar bill. I'm not that wealthy, so I have a couple of uh, Sonic free cherry limeade uh, coins right there. So two free cherry limeades. Who doesn't love cherry limeades? Give it up for Sonic. Come on. We love Sonic around here. Yeah, Greg, Gene. Those, those two coins right there, they're Amanda's. Hi, Amanda. What's up? How you doing? Yeah, those are yours. So those are Amanda's. They will always be Amanda's. Nobody else can take them away. They're Amanda's. They're Amanda's. They're going to be Amanda's until she comes and picks them up they're going to be Amanda's until she comes and picks them up. Yeah, you figured it out now. (laughs) They're hers. Nobody can take them away. You can go sit down now. (laughs) They're really yours. You can have them. It's not a prop. It's yours. They're hers. They're nobody else's. They're hers. God does the same thing to us sometimes. But see, here's the thing. So often we ask God for something we say, God, I want to conquer this land. I want, to, I want what you have for me, God. Would you please give it to me? And we're expecting God to Amazon Prime two-day ship it right into our laps. Come on, Amazon Prime's the best, by the way, is it not? Come on, two-day free shipping, you can't beat it. But we're expecting God just to deliver it by drone right in front of us and say, here you go. But God doesn't always do that. The same way with Jacob, he had to wrestle God for his blessing. He had to wrestle God to get rest. And we get so frustrated sometimes when we're saying, God, please, I, I want this in my life. I want to I do this. I want to conquer this. And God says, okay, it's right here. Come get it. And just like it, we miss it, just like a man did. We just, we're just, okay, cool, that's great. Bring it over here in a minute. And God is saying, sometimes you have to take a step. You have to have an action. You have to do something. Because this is what Jeremy Foster said last night, and I loved it. When he said it, I almost lost it. He said, if God provided things for us this way, if he just dropped them in our laps, we wouldn't need faith. And without faith, we don't need God. And God will never do anything that makes himself unnecessary. God is saying, sometimes you have to take a step out to get it. Because faith without works Faith without works is dead. Sometimes it requires work. And once you cut the ties that bind you, once you burn the ships behind you, once you leave it all on on the court, once you get rid of everything that can pull you back and you choose to stand there and you say, I have no other option but to move forward. And we pursue what God has for us and say, you know what, I'm going to keep going. But when I get to that place, I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to pick up what you have for me, God, because you have something better for me it may be hard, and it may be be tough, and I may find struggle, and it may be the hardest thing I ever have to do, but God, I have faith to know that you've got my back, and you've got something better for me. So you want to live on the edge, cut ties with the past that keeps drawing you to it, then go pick up what God has for you. One last scripture that I'm closing. Genesis 32, 28 says this. This is the rest of our story about Jacob. He said, which is God, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. Your name is no longer Jacob. You're you're no longer a manipulator or thief, which is what Jacob means. But instead, your name is Israel, striving with God fighting for God, making great efforts for God, a child of God. Because you burned the boats behind you, because you cut the ties, because you wrestled, you picked up something, you worked for it, I'm changing your name. Not only are you getting something better out of the deal, but you're becoming an entire brand new person. Would you guys bow your heads with me in this place this morning? I don't know.